0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, July 3rd, 2023. Happy birthday, America. On the show today, listener questions, a new tool for finding cheap DVC rooms, and would you pay more to see extra special effects in a ride? Disney thinks you might. Then in our main segment, Jim continues the history of the Walt Disney World Speedway. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that it's against company policy to answer your phone with, for God's sake, what now, no matter how good it feels. It's Mr. Jim Hill, Jim, how's it going?
1: Oh, well, look, you only have one opportunity to make a first impression and... and- <laughs> Given that my business card actually features the phrase, whiny baby man, this is actually an <laughs> issue I struggle with on, on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I'm so terrible when it comes to phones. I, I've now decided the only way I can communicate with the outside world is through the use of semaphore. So it, as I look out my front window... flags. Yes, that's it exactly. I I have a bunch of sweaty workmen erecting a 100-foot-tall platform, uh, which I will soon be standing on top of, waving flags, communicating with people to the effect of, no, I do not want to extend my automobile warranty.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it's a lot of hand-waving, but you can also count that as aerobic exercise. So there's that.
1: Again, great idea.
0: All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout-out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Brian Fleming, T Bermuda Sands, Candace P, and Disney Dad Barkowitz, and longtime subscribers JGWDW, Gregory Nichols, Cody P, and 0 5 Jim, these are the cast members who train other cast members to be face characters in the Magic Kingdom. These folks take over after the character candidates have learned the basics of autographs, smiling, and small talk, and teach them more advanced but just as important skills including negotiating with the supernatural unions in the Haunted Mansion and mediating the long-running turf war between the Country Bears and the Enchanted Tiki Birds. True story.
1: You, you open the doors to so many facets of the Disney parks. I, I never knew. Yeah you
0: think it's uh, sharks and jets but it's really bears and birds. There you
1: go.
0: All right, Jim, let's do the news. And it's a pretty light news week. Mm-hmm. One thing is that uh, per park pricing is now known for Genie Plus, mm-hmm. which went into effect this week. So uh, if you want to do multiple parks, obviously you need a valid park hopper ticket for that. It was $27 on the day it came out. Magic Kingdom was also $27. Uh, Hollywood Studios was $24 for Genie Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Epcot was only 18 and Animal Kingdom was $16. So... That's relatively inexpensive for Virginia Plus. But again, with the Animal Kingdom, you eat there early enough, you might not even need it for anything at all.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Mm. We'll see how these, uh, these prices fluctuate. My guess is that this is a floor, not a ceiling.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Also, Jim, you remember our friend uh, John Tierney, the one who figured out which Disney hotels were being offered in those Priceline and Hotwire hidden oh, deals?
1: God, I love that story. Yes, yes. Uh, you know. okay.
0: So, uh, so John's built a search engine to find DVC deals mm-hmm. on points rentals. And it's available at tinyurl.com slash jjtdbc. So the interesting thing here is uh, lots of sites offer DVC point rentals. John's site consolidates all of that data, which means you only have to look in one place. But also, if uh, more than one place has DVC points for rent for your trip, Mm -hmm. it's easy to see which one is cheaper. Also, uh, John tracks the cost of those rooms over time. So you'll know if the deal you're looking at is better than average. And this is really the big thing for me is is Mm -hmm. context Mm -hmm. like how do I know whether $500 a night for a DVC room is a good deal or not right Mm -hmm. so on our internal slack channel this week John pointed out uh, this two bedroom at Kidani that's available at David's DVC for four nights starting July 12th and it's a rate of $413 per night all in not only is that rate almost 70% off of Disney's rack rate for that room it's $500 a night less than the average DVC point rental for that room so fantastic deal and, wow. uh, and John's tool tracks all of this stuff yeah this is what we've been saying so a couple of years ago I thought mm-hmm. you know DVC rental deals are really the best value mm-hmm. the best discount you could get on Disney lodging and I you know I wanted to build a tool for a while and then John went out and did it mm-hmm. but it's uh, but it's really impressive stuff so you can you can not only search for deals you can search for like partial stays and stuff like that yeah it's working out really really well so anyway it's uh, tinyurl.com slash JJT DVC
1: mm-hmm. take a look and hats off to Mr. attorney for, for doing all the heavy lifting here. Yeah, fantastic, uh, fantastic job. Mm-hmm. All
0: right, Jim, time for listener questions. Lots of suggestions for our listener, Julia, who last week wrote in to ask how she and a friend might freshen up mm-hmm. for dinner at Citrico's after a full day at the Magic Kingdom. So several listeners, Jim, uh, including Aaron and Erica, suggested getting a day pass at the Grand Floridian Spa, which has showers, air conditioning and refreshments.
1: That's a great idea. Yeah, not bad at all. Yeah, so
0: that's uh that's also an option, Joy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Also, uh, uh, listener Matthew wrote in to say in a previous episode of the Disney Dish, you made a comment regarding the pizzas from Pizza Rizzo that they could be bought wholesale. I was wondering if you know where people can order them from. All right, <laughs> Is it, I, it was an odd question, Jim, but I'm including it. All right,
1: okay, okay. okay. Uh,
0: Yeah, Pizza Rizzo Pizza, I did not think was going to be that in demand, but okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw them at Cast Connection, Mm -hmm. Matthew, where you can buy a box of them, 30 pizzas, for $30. Which, I'm not a huge fan of Pizza Rizzo Pizza, but I am a fan
1: of $1 pizza. (laughs) Ted, walk in the door, you're hungry, open the freezer. You know, yeah, twenty minutes later, you're eating. So, I mean, that's cheaper than a slice of pizza. If we're walking around New York, yes.
0: So, Matthew, my uh, my suggestion is make friends with a cast member mm-hmm. and uh, see if you can get an invite into uh, into Cast Connection because that's where they're at. That sounds like a plan. All right, from Mark, who mm-hmm. says we just got back from a trip to Walt Disney World and we discovered as we were working our way through the parks that when a ride had downtime or was experiencing issues of any kind, it basically grind the standby lines to a halt and focus on getting the Lightning Lane people through the ride. For example, when we got in line at Avatar Flood of Passage, the posted wait time was 60 minutes, and the line made steady progress for about half an hour, and then practically ground to a halt. I'm not sure exactly what they were doing, but I felt like they were taking one family at a time from the standby line. After that, our wait time ended up being 120 minutes. Later, they made an announcement that the ride was experiencing issues, but not until we'd already been standing there for For a while we had similar issues at other attractions including tower of terror so my question is do you have any idea what the ratio of standby versus lightning lane guests disney uses when the ride is experiencing issues yeah so mark the ratio can be up to 99 to 1 which means that in emergencies disney would take 99 guests from the lightning lane line for every one guest from the standby line and i know that sounds terrible Mm -hmm. um it sounds a lot worse than the 4 to 1 ratio mm-hmm. that Disney normally uses. But remember, that 4 to 1 ratio is actually 80-20. So, 80-20 and 99 to 1 is not actually that much different. But yeah. still, and, Yeah, it's a lot. And the reason why Mark's email hit home is because this week, we had four people doing touring plan testing in Hollywood Studios, mm-hmm. and there was so much downtime on the day that they tried it that it affected every single person. And we ended up not being able to do apples to apples comparison of the plans, mm-hmm. which was the entire point because there was some, uh, so much downtime. So remember, like when we're testing stuff at the studios, we already tell people they should buy an individual lightning, lightning for Rise of the Resistance because it's down for two hours a day on average. So we'd already taken Rise of the Resistance out of the plans because of its unreliability. But then we sent somebody over to test the idea that maybe you should visit Rock and Roller Coaster first, mm-hmm. right? But Rock and Roller Coaster didn't open with the rest of the park. And because that one person was at the front of the rope drop line for that when they announced it, mm-hmm. they had to walk somewhere else and now they're at the back of the line, which is now not an apples to apples comparison, right? Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. stuff like that just drives me crazy. But the other the other thing was this, like going back to downtime, mm-hmm. Millennium Falcon had a horrible time all day. At one point at nine fifteen, the posted wait was thirty minutes, but they had downtime and the actual wait was fifty one for mm-hmm. our people. Okay. Later on there was a posted forty minute wait, but the actual wait was not forty minutes. It was eighty-three. You know, and then you know they figured it out. They got on track. So mm-hmm. uh, later on there was a posted hundred minute wait, mm-hmm. actual it was eighty seven and then a seventy five minute wait with an actual weight of eighty five. But Jim here's my thing, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a guest mm-hmm. And you get in line for one line that says posted 40-minute wait, and you wait 83. Mm-hmm. And then you get in line for another ride. In this case, let's use Red Carpet Dreams. Okay. Red Carpet Dreams at 2 o'clock had a posted wait of 30 minutes, mm-hmm. and the actual wait was 4. Okay. Okay. So posted wait of 40, wait 83. Posted wait of 30, wait 4. How do you make decisions based on posted wait times if you're a guest when that happens to you? Like, what do you, what do you believe?
1: It's like, these are all works of fiction. I mean, you know, how, yeah. how can you make decisions with, with this sort of bad info where the swings are this wide?
0: Yeah, and this is the thing. Like, I get that, you know, it, it must be hard to keep attraction wait time, attraction posted wait times accurate. But if you're Disney, mm-hmm. and this is the experience that guests have, what do you give them for advice on how to plan their day? Mm-hmm. Like, what do, you, what do you tell them? Like, what do you, what's the advice there? I don't know. It, it, it's
1: got to get better, though. I mean, this is this is really not great. I, I guess the thing that fascinates me is Disney has its finger on the pulse, uh, you know, strongly enough that it can finesse genie prices like they're, you know. uh, Yeah, we're
0: down to the individual dollar at this point, right? I mean, it's, no, 16, not 17. It's like, you know,
1: going to a seafood restaurant, and it's like, well, you're paying the market value for whatever the the lobster is going for today. And that they can stay on top of. That they can finesse on virtually a daily basis. With something like this, this is now a year's long problem, that this yeah. data is just not correct. And near as I could tell, there's been no movement at all to, to correct this.
0: Yeah, I mean, Millennium Falcon used to be one of the most accurate attractions when it came to posted wait times. Mm. This is just, oof, this is rough. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, it's it's a, the number of people that I have working on mm-hmm. this particular problem right now, it is more than a dozen people working on trying to figure out where the wait times are wrong and and by how much. Because you can't, you can't play it. Okay. Like, what do you do? What? what interestingly, one of the uh, one of the workarounds that we have for the for mm-hmm. the Magic Kingdom, I won't get into it right now, mm-hmm. but it's a three step. It's, it's you know, like every every chess game has a standard opening. Mm-hmm. We have a standard opening for the Magic Kingdom now, <laughs> with one step that no one will actually guess. And I'll talk about it on a future show.
1: <laughs> can't wait! <laughs> like right. I
0: would like if I tell you to do this, you'd be like, no. That can't be right, but it's it's right, and and the reason is amazing. Anyway,
1: D- does it involve the phrase "mother"? May I? <laughs>
0: it it doesn't, but it uh but it involves an attraction. It involves visiting an attraction during e- early theme park entry that you would not consider normally visiting hmm. during early theme park entry. We'll talk about it once I uh, once we get it tested.
1: Okay, okay.
0: All right, Jim. Uh, we haven't done uh, uh, patents mm-hmm. uh, in a while, but I've been saving them for just the right time. Okay. So Disney's uh, actually got a patent application in. did it back in February, Mm -hmm. but I I just noticed it uh, this week. And uh, it's called Systems and Methods to Adjust In-Vehicle Content Based on Digital Assets. All right. So the idea is that you would buy a digital something. Mm -hmm. I think Disney originally referenced NFTs here, Mm -hmm. but I think that idea is dead. But imagine imagine that you could buy something digital Mm -hmm. and then based on what you buy, your in-ride experience would change. So I'll read you part of the patent. In some implementations, adjusting the on-ride content might include adding one or more of the content, removing one or more things or substituting current things. For example, it might include music playing and adjusting the light projections mm-hmm. or adjusting the images in a given ride attraction might be substituted for a second image. And this got me thinking, Jim. It's like, if you really want to see A-mode Kylo Ren running at Rise of the Resistance, would you pay
1: an extra $5 for it? Oh. Oh. (laughs) Because it's going to be possible, right? Remember when Magic Bands first entered the parks and we got access to that deck that laid out everything they were thinking of doing?
0: Yep. Yeah. Still have it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, the whole notion of how you at home, prior to your vacation, could literally build your own Small World doll. And then when you got on the ride, I guess the, the idea was there were going to be flat panel screens at some point in the ride. And, yeah. And as you passed, your Small World doll would suddenly appear and start dancing for you.
0: You know, I th- I think those still work at Small World and Expedition Everest. Really? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I haven't looked in a few months, but mm-hmm. I mean, the last time I went out searching for them, they definitely worked again. Yeah, I, know. I remember that. Okay, I mean, the way the thing I was thinking here is, I mean, it was a way of adding more upcharges to attractions, oh, yeah, yeah, while still keeping the basic experience mm-hmm. the same for everyone else. Like, imagine you could go through Spaceship Earth, mm-hmm. but instead of getting the regular uh, narration, you pay five dollars or whatever, and you get Kermit the Frog doing the narration. Like that would, you know, what I. For five dollars, I might do it. Okay, you know, once. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hi ho, everybody! <laughs> I I mentioned that because I just finished watching the uh, mm-hmm. the Muppets uh, new Muppets series on Disney Plus with uh, the Electric Mayhem. And uh, I thought it was great. I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was really good. Cool, cool. <laughs> I love that the guest stars on the Muppets uh, Electric Mayhem series, including everyone from pop stars like Kesha mm-hmm. to
1: Morgan Freeman. <laughs> tells you the appeal but at the same time it just it makes me a little crazy that you can get people like that to turn out when it's the Muppets and and Disney's been sort of treating them like well that's nice okay back in the box for three years and then we'll figure out what to do with it
0: yeah I mean I think the I think the one episode had like Paula Abdul and Morgan Freeman mm-hmm. on which is like the A to Z of of Hollywood <laughs> entertainment right <laughs> Anyway, great show if you haven't uh, seen it. it, All the episodes are like 30 minutes or less. So you can binge watch it all in one night, 10 Mm -hmm. episodes. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim will let the cougar loose Mm -hmm. and finish up the story of the Walt Disney World Speedway. We'll be right back.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. We're well into the summer of 2023, people, a time when a lot of us climb in the car and head off on a road trip. How many of you remember those triptychs we all used to get from AAA, which would tell you the very best route to take on the family vacation, uh, where you could expect to find construction, which might slow down your drive, or better yet, warn you in advance about where you might encounter a speed trap? I used to love those triptychs, which makes me think, wouldn't it be great if we could get a triptych to help guide us through our personal lives? Something that would then reassure us that even when the path ahead, whether we're talking about our careers or personal life, wasn't exactly clear, you still could get the sense that you were making the right decisions as you move forward with your life. Well, there may not be a triptych out there to help you when it comes to life's tough choices. But there is therapy, which can then help you move forward with confidence and excitement. And if that's something that you've been thinking about, giving therapy a try, well, maybe you should check out BetterHelp. BetterHelp is entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. To get started, all you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll then be matched with a licensed therapist. You can then switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Look, regular listeners to this podcast know that right after I got divorced back in the mid-90s, and my ex then took our daughter Alice 6,000 miles away, all the way back to her parents' home in Hawaii, I got in a very dark place. I recognized that I needed some professional help. And because I decided to talk with something about what I was going through back then, I eventually found my way out of that very dark place. And if you're looking to make a similar sort of transition in your life, well, let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. Quick question. How many things do you subscribe to? Nancy and I were just trying to figure this out the other day when we were in the car. And and as we started listing things, Amazon and Disney Plus and D23 and Paramount Plus and HBO Max, which now is just Max, plus the place that Nancy gets her acid-free coffee from every month and the outfit that provides the music for her water aerobics class, Long story short, we were north of 15 different subscriptions in under a minute. And those were just the ones that Nancy and I could think of off the top of our heads. And here's the thing, I know we all think that, well, that subscription streaming service is only $9.99 a month and the other one's $15, so that can't really be all that much money going out on a monthly basis, right? Wrong. Research shows that most Americans are spending close to $200 a month on subscriptions. And if you don't know for sure what your monthly outgo is for subscriptions, well, maybe now it's time you tried Rocket Money. Rocket Money is the personal finance app that helps you find and then cancel unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Rocket Money will help you quickly and easily find those subscriptions you don't want to pay for anymore. Just hit cancel and Rocket Money will then cancel that subscription for you. It's that easy. Rocket Money also helps you manage all of your finances in one place and automatically categorizes your expenses. I was just using that aspect of Rocket Money the other day when I was filling out an expense report for a trip that Nancy and I had recently made to the Midwest. Plus, with Rocket Money, you can set it up to get an alert if if something looks off about your finances. Look, over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. So stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to RocketMoney.com/DisneyDish. That's RocketMoney.com/DisneyDish. One more time for the folks out in the side yard who are playing cornhole. RocketMoney.com/DisneyDish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. All right, Jim, at the end of last week's show, Mm -hmm.
0: you mentioned that the very first race at the Walt Disney World Speedway was on January 27, 1996, Mm -hmm. and listener Daniel Owens, who Mm -hmm. goes by the name NASCARMANRR Mm -hmm. on Twitter, not only sent in video from that race, including an interview with Roy Disney, Mm -hmm. but also noted that driver Buzz Calkins held off Tony Stewart for the win, and it was the only Indy Racing League win of Buzz Calkins' career.
1: Yeah. And thank you, Daniel, for sending that along. In fact, I touch on it in today's story? it's really? Well, no, it's just, it's such a cool snapshot of when this thing was in operation. I mean, mind you, January of 1996, and it felt like... The Walt Disney Company was on the verge of launching something really big here, a bold new enterprise for the company. And, and yeah. This is literally when the wheels are coming off of the Walt Disney World Speedway. <laughs> nice metaphor, Nice,
0: uh, good analogy.
1: Okay, right. but, but, okay, so what goes wrong? A, a couple of things, actually. I mean, your call on last week's show, we talked about how the Speedway only cost Disney six million dollars to install. And, and one of the biggest cost savings on this project was because the company had it was effectively building this racetrack on top of a seldom used uh, part of the Magic Kingdom parking lot. Uh, they didn't have to do the usual site prep, clear trees, grade the land, you know, watch out for sinkholes. I mean, this is central Florida after all. But that work had already been done back in late 69, early 1970s when when the 125-acre parking lot for the Magic Kingdom was, was being built. So all the company had to do to create this racetrack, was step into the space and, and build it on top of that. But And sure. build it quickly, they did, Len. Ground was broken uh, June 27, 1995. And the last bit of asphalt was put into place October 18th of that same year. The entire thing, 12 weeks, Len. Wow. But the Walt Disney World Speedway wasn't really finished. When Disney reached out to Indy Racers and invited them to come on down to Orlando and participate in the very first Indy 200 race, these racers were enthusiastic. I mean, they love the idea. They can compete to the, that uh, competition's top prize, by the way, that was $125,000.
0: So the same price that Disney's
1: charging now for one person on an around-the-world ABD? <laughs> well, there you go. You know, <laughs> but you, you don't get the, the air freshener that you can dangle from your rearview mirror. That's true. Yeah, okay. And and the other thing, think about it. These racers could bring their families, and they could enjoy the resort. Well, the, That's the, true. The but... drivers on the speedway are practicing. So... And the, so the racers then turned to Disney and said, "Cool, I'm gonna let my pit crew know. I out ahead of the race." Can we get access to your on-site garages? We're, we're going to need to stash all of our gear, and <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and, and this is where Disney. Oh yeah, about that. Oh. We haven't actually built any on-site garages at the Speedway, and not yet, anyway. That part of the project, Len uh, Walt Disney World officials had had pushed off to year two. You know how sure, how, sure. how Disney will open an attraction and then the shade structure for the queue won't show up for two or three years this is kind of that same thinking and what they told the, the, the races it's like look uh, what's going to happen is, is you guys will come down and you'll you'll set up your stuff outside along the track and that's not going to be a problem in
0: in, in florida right on air in on air-conditioned Okay.
1: yeah, sure. I mean, how often does it rain in Central Florida? Say, as long, <laughs> as <it doesn't laughs> rain, long as it long doesn't rain, Jim, as long as it doesn't rain, okay. we'll be fine. <laughs> all right. So now factor that in and and uh, in order to actually qualify for the, this, this race, the drivers and their pit crews had to travel down to Orlando right after the holidays. And given that the month of January had previously traditionally been downtime for all IndyCar drivers, the idea yeah. that they you now had to leave their families right after New Year's and then haul all their crud down to Lake Buena Vista and then set it up right there on the open track side. So out in the elements, no rain cover, no shade, no air conditioning. And this was just a qualify land? Not actually Yeah, not a not a great uh, not a great first experience. So, yeah, right? Not a great first impression. And the same could be said for the folks who attended uh, the, the very first race at this news facility. In fact, I, I'd love to get Daniel's memories of attending this because it was the first at Disney World. 50,742 people actually bought tickets to the inaugural running of the Indy 200 at Walt Disney World. Which, I want to point out, is a tenth of the, the 500,000 people who typically attend a running of the Indianapolis five, 500. But, sure. hey, you got to start somewhere. But when these people got to the, the Walt Disney World Speedway, they didn't find the sort of permanent grandstand that they, they, they'd encounter if they went to a Indy race in Indiana. And they what they found waiting for them was a temporary set of bleachers that had been set up trackside. And, again... <laughs> This this is Disney being financially prudent in year one of, sure. of the Speedway. So in much the same way as they they put off building the pit crew area, it's like, well, look, we'll build a permanent grandstand in Florida eventually. Something that people where people can sit in the shade and the comfortable seats and refreshment stands and, and restrooms nearby. But that's right. You know you know I've been to the Speedway. I don't remember the restrooms yeah were there even re- yeah there's a reason why i don't remember them <laughs> the first word is porta, Caroline. porta. Um, all right okay, okay all right uh okay. but but again disney corporate thinking is like look let's say how many people are actually going to show up to this thing before we commit right. to building permanent grandstand also at the same time we're having the inaugural running of this race Walt disney world is still has to operate as a destination resort it's a place where families go for once in a lifetime vacations There's a theme park right nearby that has to operate, not to mention on the heels of last week's show. We talked about the early, early history of Walt Disney World. Our buddy Bio Reconstruct reached out uh, to share what he remembered about what went on at the Magic Kingdom on January 27th, the day of the very first uh, Indy 200 race at Walt Disney World. And the way Bio remembers it, the race was very disruptive to Magic Kingdom attendance. First season, uh, there's nowhere for Magic Kingdom Day guests to park, and and fifty thousand people are now showing up the uh, for the race. Yeah, okay. Okay. But now it gets worse. All right, anyone who's ever been to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway knows that an Indy race is loud. In fact, there you go. All right, I was talking with Aaron Adams uh, about this recently. He's the talented guy who edits the Disney Dish podcast, also my co-host on the Marvelous Disney podcast and aaron was actually talking about i want to say this was last year during race week where he actually uh went to the indianapolis motor speedway and was down Mm -hmm. in the tunnel under the raceway uh doing some recording getting some amazing audio but he was talking about how how deafening it was to be there so uh, all right so picture this one you're a family that is saved for years for your once in a lifetime Walt Disney World vacation. And you've opt to splurge for Stay at the Poly because you love the idea of resting and relaxing in a tranquil, tropical setting. But you book your vacation for the very same week that the Indy 200 races are being run on the speedway. And you now can't hear yourself think over the roar of 20 race cars going around a one mile long track at 180 miles an hour.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, just, just to put this in perspective, mm-hmm. it's maybe a third of a mile from uh, oh. the racetrack to the Polynesian.
1: Oh. Like, I,
0: you can definitely hear those cars. And, and and they were pretty loud. Like, I was, I remember being at the Poly and hearing the race cars well, uh, doing testing.
1: He, he, here's the thing, look. That an Indy car race, typically it's 140 decibels, which to put that in perspective, that's how loud it gets at a rock concert. So, Hmm. you know, not just the poly, but directly across the way from where the Speedway was set up is Wilderness Lodge. Mm. Uh, And yeah, you have some trees, you know, sort of acting as a baffle there or sound baffle.
0: Still not enough.
1: No, not at all.
0: Does money fix this problem, Jim? Oh, okay. Would you like to would you like to stuff your ears full of
1: dollar bills? Would that make the sound go away? What Len is referring to is on the day of the first real uh, indie race, I mean, yes, there had, oh, they right. are yeah, still yeah. out there, the, the The folks who work the front desk at the Poly and the Wilderness Lodge. So uh, that said, I did hear that they also got some complaints at the Grand Flow, the Contemporary, oh, sure. and yeah. even at Shades of Green. Yeah, I mean, I
0: remember I, I heard one car on mm-hmm. the track mm-hmm. all the way over at the Poly. I can't imagine what 20 cars going...
1: Oh.
0: Full out would have been like,
1: well, uh, but here's the thing: uh, you know, you walk into the lobby uh, of the poly, one uh, of the lobby, and there was this enormous line of angry guests, you know, <laughs> yeah. and the folks at the front desk had been told placate them, give them anything. So they were comping meals, they were comping theme yeah. park tickets. They were, if you were really, really, really loud and insistent, they would comp your hotel room. And uh, you know, it's now February of 1996. The inaugural run of the Indy 200 is in the rearview mirror. And all the uh, compensation checks have been cashed, and that's (laughs) a thing. That's a thing. All right. What's the damage? All right. Well, (laughs) this is the report that slides across Michael Eisner's desk, uh, to the effect of they spent almost as much on compensation for the people at the resort as it initially cost to build the racetrack i mean it was just wow well again think about it think about what it costs to stay at the poly and think what it costs to stay at wilderness lodge and yeah and, and it was at this point eisner was like okay we're gonna pause any further spending on the sp- speedway because the whole notion is look every time we have called a race of this size we're gonna have to deal with this issue so uh, all right disney begins to explore other ideas about you know well how how can we mitigate this? I mean, for example, for the nineteen ninety eight season, what they did. In fact, I think it, it's bio reconstruct who turned me on to the story. They had people park over at Epcot who were attending the race, and then See, they, now, it, now it's just a hassle. Well, no, you know? that's that's yeah. it exactly. In fact, people had such a bad time getting from the Epcot parking lot then to the, the Magic Kingdom parking lot, getting off the bus, getting into the stands to see the race, that it directly impacted attendance the following year. In fact, Disney is waiting to see what they have for tickets, advanced ticket sales, before they start erecting mm-hmm. these temporary grandstands. And they right. went from setting up for the 1998 race, again, you know, for 50,000 uh, attendees, 1999 race, after the Epcot Park at Epcot debacle, Mm-hmm. They they set up only set up grandstands for twenty thousand people.
0: Yeah, I mean that's I've I, I've been in uh, I've been in Disney half marathons with that many people.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. This comes to a friend. I, I won't share the name publicly here, but uh, would all come down to Orlando. Huge race, saying more of a NASCAR guy, but he came down to watch the indie race. And from the day of the very first race, he's coming back into the uh Wilderness Lodge, sees the line, you know, for people complaining and actually gets in it. And then, you know, walks up, you know, gets to the front desk. And I oh, guess it was very loud. It doesn't mention that it was very loud because it was sitting in the stand watching the race. <laughs> well, you know, whatever. <laughs> and they comp him his room for his stay. And so he, he oh. did this for four years len just you know come down actually watch the race and then go down to the lobby and pay and four years in a row he got his stay at the wilderness lodge comp wow and, and again disney's still handing out freebies and it's still the financials aren't working uh they're not investing so again no pit crew no no permanent toilets yeah no nothing, grants nothing's
0: in. changed yeah yeah
1: okay freebies finally come to an end with the 2000 racing season this this had been especially tough year for the, the speedway it'd been given a back eye or excuse me a black eye when sam schmidt following mm-hmm. a crash w- was left paralyzed and Also among folks in the circuit, the Walt Disney World Speedway, it now had kind of a bad reputation. Uh, You know, it was either built too fast or was built on the cheap. And no real improvements had been made since all that work, those 12 weeks in 19. Well, wait a minute, I take that back because the first summer after the initial race, because they were having drainage issues, they built Mm -hmm. in the middle of the infield a retention pond that was shaped like Mickey Mouse and- Still there. Yeah, yeah, well, there's a Lake Mickey. But anyway, 2000 racing season ends, Disney and Indy racing officials confer, and their concern now is Super Bowl 35, January Mm. of 2001 is gonna be held in Tampa. And the thinking is, wow, if we stick with our usual plan here with a Saturday before a Super Bowl Sunday, with the Super Bowl 35 being held up in Tampa, Nobody's going to be want to be in Orlando, you know. And, and do we really want you know the race to be held in front of empty stands? Really,
0: you think you think no one would be in Orlando if the Super Bowl is in Tampa on Sunday? Because I've I've been to a Super Bowl in Tampa, mm-hmm. and I stayed in Walt Disney World.
1: I guess the other thing to remember here is that, and in fact, if you watch that video that that Daniel showed here earlier today. You have this imagery of that opening year with 50,000 people in the stands. And yeah. now remember, you know, we, after you know the parking over at Epcot debacle of 98, you, you dropped yeah. it to 20,000. You know, you're yeah. already, you, you're losing strong visuals, you know. And so it's yeah, like.
0: You've lost 60% of your crowd. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so there was talk at that point. Well, look, could we maybe, maybe for one year, let's move it to Labor Day. And also, given the reputation that the the Yard had in the on the racing circuit now there, for a time, Disney actually kicked the idea of like, well, all right, should we should we build a new one? Should we do the smart thing and move it down by one ninety two and say make it part of the wide world of sports complex? Oh, yeah! That's an idea. Uh, I wonder what if they would have built it there to begin with. Um, I know. Would it
0: have? Because then, because then you've got all that other infrastructure right there.
1: You do, you do. But uh, remember, you know, right. the, okay. the way we started out the story today, that they thought they were being smart by using all this already cleared, graded land in the parking. Yeah, yet. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, at this point, uh, Michael Eisner has had his fill of Indy car racing. You know what he decides to do is to pull the plug on the actual Indy 200 race in Orlando. And largely, again, the, you know, the Walt Disney World Speedway become a place where guests with deep pockets can then go try their hands at, at driving high-performance vehicles by signing up for spending a couple hours of the Richard Petty driving experience. And that actually opened on-site there, Len, in February of 97. And to a large extent, that kept the lights on at the Speedway, after the company walked away from the racing business in in late 2000 but but when guests interest in in driving fast cars began to dwindle down to only a, a handful of people each day that yeah. Night, yeah, handwriting on the wall march 27 2015 Disney announces the Walt Disney World Speedway would be closing on August 9th of that same year, so the track could be raised. And the, the language they use, Len, is transportation improvements can be made to the, the immediate area. So this is these are the flyover ramps you and I were, were talking about on, on yep. the last show. And they're nice flyover ramps. They yeah. are. They are. Anyway, June 1st, 2015, Richard Petty Driving Experience closes its doors, packs up demolition of the racetrack begins in late August of that same year and by the fall of 2015 the Walt Disney World Speedway is no more Mm. so you're saying if we go on Google Earth now we can still see Lake Mickey Yeah, still there. Wow, I did not know that. But anyway, to bring things full circle here to, you know, what Len was mentioning at the top of the show here again, uh, Daniel Owen, who goes by, again, the handle NASCARman underscore RR, that's his Twitter Mm -hmm. handle, folks. I mean, he was nice enough to share this video of ABC's coverage of the inaugural uh, race at the Walt Disney World Speedway, and it's... If you watch it, I mean, it's only a couple of minutes, but you can see racing legend Bobby Unser and yep. you get to see Walt's nephew, Roy E. Disney is, <laughs> yeah. is there, you know, the vice, the then vice chairman of the company there to kick things off. And it's, it's a, it's a nice time capsule of what the speed sweet speedway was like at the very beginning. Uh Wow. So that's the story of the speedway, which I, I think you're on to something though. I bet if they had built it down by one ninety two by the sports complex, it would have had more of a chance. If you think about the parking that's already set up there, the the ramps off the highway, you know, that sort of thing. Um yeah, that that could have worked.
0: When I did it mm-hmm. it was in the early two thousands, and mm-hmm. if I recall correctly, there was a a driver there, and I want to say it was like an actual indie driver there. That mm-hmm. happened to be there that day. and If I recall correctly, it was Emerson Fittipaldi was actually there. Oh like, no, and, you know, really? Was with the, yeah, like he gave it. He gave us the safety briefing. Wow, on it. Yeah, I know, right? So you know, I got uh, obviously I'm asking a million questions, right? Mm-hmm. So one of them was like is there a restrictor or governor mm-hmm. on the Indy cars? Because um, remember, there was the Richard Petty driving experience, but there mm-hmm. was also the car racing experience. There was,
1: there was. And I like
0: I like IndyCar better than I like NASCAR. Mm-hmm. And these were, they weren't actually Indy cars; They were mm-hmm. Formula 4 mm-hmm. cars. So like there's Ever Windows Formula 1. Mm-hmm. There's a Formula 2, 3, and 4. Yep. And these were Formula 4 cars, but mm-hmm. basically like for, you know, kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but But it, it was, you know, it was really interesting. Like they give you the the safety briefing and a lot of it was like, you, you can die. Like you, (laughs) these are, these are real cars. You know, you can, you can go at speeds up to 180 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. There are no restrictor plates on the cars and it will, they will go as fast as you want. So I'm asking him like, what what do you mean as fast as you want? And he's like, well, the interesting thing about doing it was Mm -hmm. most people did not have the nerve. To drive the car as fast as it could be driven, yeah. so he's so what so what Fittipaldi said. And I think he was like one other person with me mm-hmm. on, the, on you know in the entire thing. Yeah. Again, it was not this was not well attended. Mm-hmm. But Fittipaldi was like, "Look, you will lose your nerve mm-hmm. way before the tr- the car will lose its grip on the track. Like you you were not brave enough to to push this car to its limits." He's like, "I can I can show you what it's like if you want, mm-hmm. right?" Because so Emerson was actually ahead of us. He okay. was. Um, Emerson was, so the when you, when you got on the track, yeah. Fittipaldi was, you know, there was a driver in front of you that mm-hmm. was basically like your lap car. You mm-hmm. couldn't pass the lap car. Okay. Okay. Like that's, that that's gets right, you kicked that's off. Right, I remember that. Okay, Did you, yeah. Get mm-hmm. you kicked off immediately. Okay. Okay. So, and so like Fittipaldi was like, I will go as fast as you want. Mm-hmm. You do not have the courage <laughs> to go as fast as the car will let you. Right. Oh. And, and that was, that was the, exp- he's like, most people keep it to one hundred and thirty five hundred and forty, 140 mm-hmm. but if you want to go 180, I will go 180 as long, you know, as long as you want. He's like, I have complete faith in the car. I have complete faith in the track. You as a beginning driver will, will chicken out way before that. It was like, um, I have the, my, my college roommate, uh, Andy mm-hmm. once told me that like, if you ever get into a batter's box mm-hmm. with a major league pitcher, you will drop to your knees to try and preserve your life, the first time you see a big league curveball, and it was the exact opposite. Paul, <laughs> was saying the same thing about cars: like you, you know, you just you don't have the skill. Yeah, mm. and that's the thing, right? Professional athletes have a have a oh, have no, another no. gear absolutely
1: will, yeah. I get it. Yeah. just there' just something when you, you you make that step up to the big league i mean yeah. and literally, yeah. that's why they call it the big leagues you know where yeah. you know you you're, you're suddenly playing or driving at a level that, that the rest of us can't even dream of
0: the uh, the other cool thing was uh, getting into the asbestos flame retardant suit. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta say that was that was super cool too. <laughs> that was that was that was kind of awesome. Not gonna lie. <laughs> uh, wow. So, anyway, well, yeah, but it was it was fun. I would I would totally do it again. I would uh-huh. totally do it again. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, just for me, it's fascinating that. It stood there as long as it did. Yeah. And again, the company entered into it with with such hopes. You know, they really yeah. did hope. That they were it, creating you know, it,
0: wasn't, it wasn't a major expense. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was our gamble, but mm-hmm. you know, not like, <laughs> like buying Fox for $71 dollars. <laughs> oh, this
1: I, this that's a that's a whole nother gamble. Okay, All
0: right, folks, that's gonna do it for the show today. You can help support us and to Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.bandcamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. We just did an interview with former Imagineer Jonathan Ackley, who designed the in-park games including Kim Possible World Showcase Adventure and Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom, so so go look for that soon. Also, we have an email for tech support at Bandcamp, that is support at bandcamp.com. On next week's show, it's the anniversary of Toy Story Midway Mania at Tokyo Disney Sea, and Jim tells us how Disney has adapted this ride to fit in at three different theme parks. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be singing his new duet, This Grass Was Made for Playin' with the Electric Mayhem as part of Porch Fest at Roscoe Village on Sunday, August 20th, 2023, starting at the Roscoe Village Chamber of Commerce in beautiful downtown Chicago, Illinois. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.